0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport
1: Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So... The only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via of participating restaurants, 18 plus reward registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply. See
0: you at McDonald's.com. manager for the period 2000 to 2004, Danny Wilson. Danny, welcome to the Forever Bristol City podcast. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. You're very welcome, thank you. Thanks for asking on. Okay, Danny, um, before we talk about your time at Bristol City, um, you had a pretty uh, distinguished playing and, dare I say, managerial career um, mm. before you joined us. Um, let's talk about you as a player. 634 league games Uh, Chesterfield, Brighton, Luton, Sheffield Wednesday and Barnsley uh, amongst them uh, and 24 caps for Northern Ireland. I mean, how did you get into football? Was it something you felt you were going to do from an early age?
1: Um, It was always a love of mine. Obviously, my father, um, he played um, uh, post-war over in Ireland for Derry City. Uh, He was actually chosen to play for Northern Ireland until they actually found out he was English. Um, so he had, he had it in his blood as well, you know. He, um, although you know, war at the time was 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 uh, taking precedence, as we know. But um, but um, after that, you know, he, he took up part time playing with uh, with Derry City. So I had a love for it. I think it obviously rubbed on to me. I was playing it like all kids do, you know, morning, noon, and half, at night time <clears throat> when he got home from school. And um, and from that, you know, it's uh, it was something that every kid dreamed of. But never thought realistically you'd ever do it. Um, I was uh, training from leaving school. I was training to be um, an engineer. I went into that side of it. Uh, my dad obviously wanted to get something behind it, which is all, all parents do. And, um, and from then on, um, that's what I was intending to do. And then I just, I was playing for a local side, which is just outside of Wigan. And um, uh, some scouts came to, um, to watch a uh, centre forward who's playing in the same team as myself. Like um, all Gary Dickens, and um, I had to have a, a good game on the day, and they uh, asked how old I was, and I was, at that time I was still only sixteen, um, and it, it just went on from there. I went to Barry, um, there were the scouts. I went to Bury and um, and I signed pro with them versus straight away.
0: Brilliant. And then your career, as you say, Brighton was probably the first club where you made uh, some inroads there in terms of establishing yourself. I think it was over a hundred appearances. Uh, for Brighton, I mean, any recollections from that time? There were they. I can't remember what division they were in at that time, but uh...
1: yeah, they'd just been relegated from the um, the old Premier League, the first division. Uh, the yeah. season I went, um, uh, they'd just been uh, beaten in the in the cup final as well. You know, so there there was a, a little bit of a downer for them. Um, but I think from that, no, it was, it was a great club. I mean, the um, the ones prior to that, believe it or not, you've only touched on the berry. And Chesterfield, in fairness, yeah. they're two very good teams, and and that was with the start of for me. I mean, by the time I got to Brighton, I think I played over two hundred games. You know, so it was. Um, although I was still quite young at twenty three, I think at Brighton, um, you know, I got a, a a great deal of experience behind myself. So, so going down there and playing with the the quality of players that were there at the time, Steve Foster's of, of this world, Jimmy Case, Joel Corrigan. You know, um, I could reel them off. They were, they were great place. so it, it was a it was a fantastic experience and a, and a
0: great learning curve from my point of view. And then you went on to uh, Luton Town, which uh, they were a pretty high flying side in uh, those days. Because I think you actually uh, scored. Was it an equalising goal in uh, Was it the League Cup final you scored for Luton? It was, yeah.
1: Against um, we had, we had a, it was against Arsenal that particular one. Um, we had. Um, three or four appearances at Wembley in, in the short space of time when I was there, it was fantastic times. Again, you know, it was, we were underdogs really because it was a small club, but it was littered with with quality players, Ricky Hill, Steve Foster again, Mick Harford, um, the Steam brothers, um, you know, you, I could go through Maldonado, you know, Les Sealy. Yeah, they, they were all internationals, but never really taken seriously uh, you know, against the big boys, but, we always put up a good fight against. Well, on those
0: on that little Kenilworth Road ground, it's a bit like the old Manor ground used to be at Oxford and some of these London grounds. You know, I've seen Luton when they get going, they can really get going up there, can't they? Yeah.
1: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it was a tight ground, as you, as you, as you well know. And um, and from that point of view, you know, we 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 had some good footballers and underestimated a little bit. You know, like I said before, and and um, we, we sprung with a few surprises on many occasions
0: yeah and then but then the next move where your your career really uh, well you had some good times there was uh, the move to Sheffield Wednesday so a much bigger club with a greater expectation from the fans there um tell us about your time at wednesday and you had a certain uh, nigel pearson as a team uh, mate of yours there so uh, anything you can tell us about nigel but sheffield wednesday as a club bigger than anything you've been at before yes
1: yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, there were, there were regular 40,000 people in the stadium every week, you know, in their home games. So uh, the expectation level was far above anything else we had been at. Um, whereas before, you know, we we were uh, underdogs and always lucky to win a game. They were expected to it. So it's a different mentality completely. Um, it was it was a great time. Um, you're right, you rightly touched on Nigel. Nigel was my captain for four years nearly. Um, great captain, great leader on the pitch. Um, fearless. Absolutely fantastic, Colossus at the back. Um, couldn't sort his feet out now and again, like. But there you go. Well, <laughs> <of us. laughs> he's uh, no, he was he was absolutely brilliant. Uh, great lad as well. Uh, great character.
0: Great character. Yeah. Yeah, and he suffered a broken leg, which cost him a place in the uh, two cup finals that you appeared in that year. yep
1: Yeah. We were gutted for him as well. You know, he's, um, he was like, ever present when Nigel was fit. You know, he was first on the team sheet, I'm sure. That uh, big Ron would tell you that Ron Atkinson, um, Trevor Francis, whoever it may be, we, we were the managers. Um, yeah, so when you're missing somebody like that, you do take. You know, there's a big gap to fill. Um, Fortunately, we got away with it. Um, could we have got a lo- away with it on a long-term basis? I'm not too sure. We could have done, but um, you know, there's one or two players in the club who
0: filled the gap very really well. Yeah. So next on, it was uh, staying uh, up uh, up north, uh, and it was a move to. Uh, Barnsley and you went there with your uh, teammate Viv Anderson, so you were his uh, assistant manager and he was player manager, that's right, and that's what happened, uh, that was back in 93, wasn't it, yeah?
1: Well, it was, yeah, and um, we were approached, or Viv was approached by John Dennis, the chairman at Bristol, sorry, at um, Barnsley at the time, and um, he just said, would you come? And so Viv had a word with me, he said, I'll only go if if you come with me as my assistant. I'd just been offered a new contract at um, Sheffield Wednesday. I was feeling great. I felt fit and you know full of full of um, enthusiasm. So it was a, it was a, a tough shout, but I thought, well, you know, it, it may never come again this opportunity. So I went along with Viv, and uh, but Viv was always very open and honest with me that if um, if anything ever came up from another club with Brian Robson, you know, we'd go with Brian. And, and Middlesbrough came up, and
0: and that's um, after and that's when they made you player manager in 94 yeah so that was within within one season so stepping up from being a player up to manager with no real training how that, that must have been yeah you know, a privilege for you to do it i mean getting to manager at 34 a bit like a little bit like lee johnson who as you know obviously had his time at uh, city but player manager at 34 how did you get the guidance and the mentoring in terms of how to manage players of whom you've been a part to that point in time? Or did you just do it on the hoof like a lot of people do in real life?
1: Well, there was a, there was a, um, a tinge of that. Yeah, of course there was. Um, you know, no, nobody tells you what to expect when you're being a manager, you know, you just play games every week as a as normal player. You know, you, you finish training, you go home. You know, management is, is completely the opposite. You're there, you know, 24-7 if you possibly at times. And, um, but I had, a great, I had a great mentor in, um, a coach called Eric Winstanley, who was an ex a former player. Um, and he was, um, one of the coaches of the club when I arrived. Uh, Frank Barlow, who I always had a great respect for when he was at Sheffield yeah. Wednesday. I was going to
0: ask about Frank, but we will come on to him later. But he was there as well, then, yeah.
1: For yeah, and he was at Chesterfield when I was there. So I knew Frank very well. So between the pair of them, um, you know, over a period of time from asking through asking Frank, um, you know, certain questions, working with them, working with Eric in particular. Um, it was fantastic. So um, they were they were massive, massive
0: uh, helps from And the expectation of Barnsley, because most people say it's a little town up north, um, player manager at 94, 95, 95, 96 sort of consolidation. But then, you know, the highlight, I guess, of uh, your career and at a relatively young age, getting promoted to the Premier League. I mean, that was exceeding their expectations. But I mean, when did you, you know, were you always gearing up for the Premier League or was it just that you got a good bunch of lads? Because this is something you achieved with, uh, with Barnsley back then and football was different, even though it's 20-odd years ago. But, you know, the expectation of Barnsley would obviously be to try and get promoted, but probably by and large just being happy in what is the championship. But did you sort of feel at the start of that season that this is going to be our year because the previous two years you've been building up to it? What was that holy grail that took Barnsley all the way that season?
1: Well, I suppose you've got to look back and you get, um, you know, your recruitment right. We had, we had some, some great uh, young players, unknown players who we, we were aware of that we thought we might get a chance. It wasn't going to cost us a lot of money either, which we didn't have anyway. Um, so we managed to um, to to gel those together. But the first game of the season was one that perhaps we opened our eyes a little bit more than than um, than we expected because we went to West Brom and beat West Brom, I think it was 2-3-0 at the Hawthorns. And, uh, and they had a fairly experienced side at the time and we absolutely bled them off the park. And we turned to each other, Eric and I, and just said, wow, you know, this what's going on here, if we can continue with this whole season, we've got a great chance. We never said anything to anybody We kept it quiet. You know, after one game, we can't go getting get carried away. But it filled us with a lot of confidence from day one. And from that as well, the players gave the confidence as well, which you always, you always um, try to instil in them.
0: Yeah, because you didn't have any big names in that side either, did you really, if I, no. I did have a skip back through?
1: Well, we didn't, not till later on. I think, you know, the John Hendry and Paul Wilkinson, who came from Middlesbrough, got promotion, they they helped us with our final push, but like Neil Redford, who was quite experienced, but in the lower leagues. I mean, he he scored twenty eight goals from midfield that season. It was absolutely unbelievable return, um, you know. So, but the rest of them no, they were they were just strays, waves waves, so to speak. And um, but uh, we're very very happy to, to be in a in a, yeah. in a team that was performing very well.
0: Well, you got there. You got to the uh, got to the Premier League. Um, Quarterfinals, uh, you beat uh, you got to the quarterfinals, the FA Cup as well, because you beat Man United on the way. Any particular highlights? I mean, was it you were up and you didn't have the financial resources to maybe kick on because it was a it was a one season stay, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Well, it was, and I think you know there's there's a lot of factors you know looking at that, and there's a way of, of looking at what, how you go. Do you do you spend your money that the Premier League give you at the beginning of the season on players or? Do you, do you go for the infrastructure? Do you go for the, you know, do you save the money for a rainy day? Um, you know, the board and our chairman, John Dennis was brilliant. They put it into the infrastructure of the, um, of the club which he, in, uh, until put in a new training ground and new facilities um, because it was quite run down. You know, the training ground was left a lot to be desired at times. Um, so they put a lot of money into that and what was left we, we were able to use for the players but it was never going to be enough. Even if we had the full quarter of money, it wouldn't have been enough anyway, you know. But um, you know, we thought, well, let, let's have a go for it. You know, you, you never know. It doesn't have to cost you a lot of money, you know, at times. We've seen clubs survive on um, on small budgets, and we're still seeing that now in the likes of Burnley. You know how how the um, they're actually keeping that Premier League for so long is absolutely fantastic um, from their point of view, and, and certainly from Sean Dyche's point of view. So it can be done. But, but we weren't, weren't in that position we never we never had that strength really the money at the time
0: to uh, to strengthen the team
1: yeah. strong enough to to be able to well you
0: came know, back you came back system. down you came back down and uh, this day and age you know even though you got them up you might have been binned off which is what managers seem to do they have very short memories chairman but you stayed with them but then Sheffield Wednesday came knocking at the door for you to uh, Go and join them because you've proven that you could get a side there. You made a fist of it in the uh, in in the Premier League as well. What was the attraction of Sheffield Wednesday? Was it former club and bigger club? Um,
1: it was a former club, I think. And it, I mean, bear in mind it's only twenty minutes down in the road from Barnsley. Yep. Like, so. it was um, you know there was a big rivalry there anyway. But um, when they came calling, you know, you don't get the opportunity sometimes to go to a club of like that uh, magnitude. I knew the club inside out. I knew the I knew the um, the board of directors to a certain degree. Uh, I knew some of the players there, uh, not all of them. But um, but I thought, well, you know, only live once. You know, you've got it. You've got to give it a shine of no regrets. And that's what I did.
0: Yeah, and, and and you went there, and it was it was a stay of about well, 20 months, one and one and two thirds of a season. And there was at the time there was sort of like you had the MPs up in arms about it because Sheffield Wednesday weren't doing as well as. Expected. I get. I doubt if any of those guys are on your Christmas card list. But uh, if you had your time at Sheffield, could you have done anything differently, or was it just you know there were endemic problems that you know you couldn't you couldn't change what needed to be changed, or they didn't have the money to change things that needed to be changed?
1: Well, listen. I think I think we can all look back and, and look at mistakes. There's not a manager to go through this through the the world of football that's not made mistakes. I certainly did there. Um, I wouldn't say they were were, uh, catastrophic ones, they were ones small mistakes that you would never do again but um, but overall I think if if you you speak to the the ex-chairman there and you speak to the the people that were on the board at the time, they didn't come up with the uh, support that they should have done at the time, which they promised me Um, and in doing so selling players was not on the agenda but that's what happened, so it was really you know, from going into the door expecting this and and in reality, not getting anything, but but having less, and that was a matter of fact. Yeah. And so that made it very difficult. The first season, you know, we did okay. We managed to stay up. Um, second season was was just a real, real fight. And um, and that was what disappointed me more than anything. That my time at Sheffield Wednesday, because it was a great club, um, but that that let me down. I felt really, I felt really, um, you know, uh, unsupported at that time, uh, particularly when when. Um, they knew what was going on, and some of the board members who were the MPs were coming out and saying this, that, and the other. It was just, it was astonishing, really, because at the time, you know, the uh, the government was trying to get people in jobs, and there was four MPs trying to get me out of it.
0: And it,
1: <laughs> it was, it yeah. was ironic. Really. But the Fiora that, that followed that was was great. For, I just kept quiet. I didn't say anything. I just let them, you know, uh, burn their own bridges, really, and and uh, and it died down. They had they had the um, uh, conversations with. The hierarchy in the Parliament, and they told them that enough was enough, and they, they had to stop doing what they were doing. So um, it didn't make my job any easier because we still had a tough time to go. But what happened was, um, you know, the, the Sheffield Wednesday fans in particular, you know, were very, very, very good to me.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Well, anyway, Sheffield Wednesday's uh, loss was uh, Bristol City's uh, game Yeah, because uh, for the first time since you've been at uh, well, Luton and Brighton, it was sort of coming south of the line drawn. East and West from uh, Birmingham. How did the Bristol City uh, approach come about? Was it uh, was it John Laycock or Scott Davison who made that initial approach, or did they do it through an intermediary uh, back then? How did how did that come about?
1: Yeah, I think it was John Laycock, if I, if I remember. Scott Scott was still there, and John obviously they were, they were on the board with uh, with Steve and I think five or six, four or five others people there at the time. Yep. Um, so um, did you say "Would he come down for a chat?" and so I said, "Yeah, no problem at all." So I went down, and it ended up being a, an interview, which I didn't expect. But it was great because it just came off, the, you know, just it just off the cuff. It was it was something that wasn't rehe- wasn't rehearsed and and uh, putting you know this that and the other sort of of um, uh, things in front of them, which we which I never intended doing anyway. So I, just, I was just myself. They asked me lots and lots of different questions. I answered as honestly as I could, and. Um, in a couple of days, he asked me if I'd, if I'd like to join them, which was uh, which yeah. was a fantastic boost, you know, with, with a club of the size.
0: What sort of questions to... do they ask at an interview? Because again, it's twenty years ago when there's no such thing as chief executives. So you're dealing with local businessmen who are good in their own right to varying degrees. But do they do they talk about you know how you deal with players? Do they talk how would you deal with this based on situations that they've seen? Was it would you say it was sophisticated or you know quite quite basic or you know they impressed they impressed you because you had a track record you've taken a team up to the Premier League you'd had over you were just coming up 40 years old you'd had north of 300 games as a manager I think something like that by then anyway you know what what did what did they ask you and what was it that impressed them enough for you to because you probably could have got bigger jobs in Bristol City if you'd have uh, maybe waited around, maybe to the autumn. When, well, that's, usual, you know,
1: I, mean. I don't think that was ever the case, that, you know, waiting around for the big clubs to come along. I think you you you, take, you look at the, the situation, you look at the clubs that's that, that it's immediately in front of you, and, and you analyse whether you'd be happy enough there, whether you could do a job there, whether you could satisfy what their ambitions are. Um, I think all interviews, when you go in, they're all very nice and they're always very... Calm, uh, very uh, um, a complimentary, if you like, of, to each other and blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, they, they start to get serious, and there's lots of questions that they do ask. Some that you can't ask, uh, so, sorry, that you can't answer. And you honestly say that, I just don't know, you know, depends on this, that, and the other. There's, there's no guarantees on anything in football, as we know. There's no guarantees in results. But well, you can try and put things in, in place that will enable you to, to hopefully get the results that you, that you cherish. So um, I think from, you know, from the board of directed at, at Bristol City at the time, um, yeah, there were some tough questions that they did answer. You know, they, they, you know, they, don't, they don't just give you the, the job just on a whim because they like your eyes or, you know, you, you smell nice, or whatever it may be. I don't know. I, you know, they, you, you go in there and you and you have to give them some sort of, of um, uh, certainty that whatever you do, it'll be everything that you're in, in your power to to get success for them. And and hopefully that's what happened and and that's
0: why I got the job. I guess the approach from them came out of the blue as as job offers or job approaches uh, often do. But once you got it, you got the job at the beginning of June. So it's the end of the season, close season, you got a month. I mean, I guess the first thing you do is assess the playing squad that you've got. yeah, And being in, as they were, League One then, did you know any of the players? Did you have any views on anybody that was there? Or was it a case of waiting until the 1st of July and meeting them all properly in person, getting, a, you know, getting know, knowing them that way?
1: Well, obviously, you've got to know who's going to be available to you when you, the season comes. And then you've obviously got to look at the, uh, the retained list that was, that's been put in place by either the former manager or the club themselves you know, in, in the absence of a manager. So um, you know, you've got to respect as well you know, the people that's been in there before you. As, as as management team, they're not they're not idiots. You know they they know the players. You know they're not um, they're not just amateurs who who just play around with it. They they'll have had they'll put some hard work and some some long hours into into their jobs as well. And so, so the players that they've got that's available to me, you know, was there, there was there was still a lot of legs left in those. You know, so but obviously when you do come in, you want one or two of your own players in that you, that you'd like to uh, you know um, emulate the style that you want to play in. Uh, and that's what happened. We got to, um, we got to the pre-season. Um, and we knew at the time, you know, we, we couldn't be going out buying players left, right and centre, because we didn't have the money. You know, yep. so, um, there was a lot of emphasis on the youth. And, um, and looking at the youth that was coming through at the time, all the lads who were on the fringes at the time, I was quite impressed with them. You know, so I thought, well, you know, you know there's a there's the jo- good there's job. There's a job work. to
0: be done. And they said, our objective, your objective was to get out of the division, they gave you a four-year contract, which is a, a credible length of time. Did you do any due diligence on them? I mean, the last manager prior to you was uh, what well, was um, was was Tony Tony Pulis. It was a short period with Tony. Tony Pulis prior to that, yeah. Benny Lenartson, but then John Ward, who you know got them out of that division and was well respected. Did you give John a call and say what these guys like to, to deal with, or you know, other people in the game, you know, to check it out? Yeah. From, that
1: no, no, unless you unless you've got a problem with somebody, I don't think that's that's what managers generally do anyway. I think you know you've players will react differently to different people, different managers, different characters, how you approach them will possibly get them in a, in a, a different mindset than they had before. Either that'd be good or bad, whatever. You know, you come in and all of a sudden you've you got your arm around somebody who'd be kicked up the ass on a regular yeah. basis. You know, so you get a different reaction and and yeah. when you start to ask the other managers about that, you're you possibly giving a false impression of the player, you know, and um, so it, I think that's a little bit um, bit dangerous sometimes because we all have a different way of approaching of people. Approaching. Have,
0: you're, absolute, you're absolutely right. You know, if, some, if you ask somebody about somebody, you have to be sure that they don't have an agenda or something like that from that perspective. So anyway, you you, you went there. Did you take Frank with you from day one? Yeah. 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 So Frank yeah. was there and they said you so you were able to bring your own assistant from uh, from that perspective. Yeah. And then did you sign Lee Peacock that close season? He was signed from Mansfield, wasn't he? Is that right? Well, or he did, he there? came from
1: Mansfield. He did, yeah. I mean Lee was um Lee was was very well thought of. He was a Man City when he was a young boy. And um, he was very well thought of there but obviously didn't didn't progress in the first scene to a, to any any certain degree. Um but we had a, we had an idea about him anyway, and uh, Mansfield obviously being in an area where I used to live in, near Chesterfield, so it was we'd seen a little bit of him as well, you know. So um, looking at what we had at the club at that time at Bristol, we thought, you know what, this this boy, he needs a challenge. He's ready for a challenge, you know. What a what a good time to bring somebody of his stature in. It was a, it was a, a very very, very strong and willing. He was
0: energetic and athletic, wasn't he? he I always felt that he used to get penalised a lot when he went up for balls, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah? Which I guess some players have that about them. If you have a jumping style where your arms create a certain picture, you're always going to be a victim like that, really, aren't you? Well, He's such a strong boy. I
1: mean, yeah. when, when defenders hit him, they came off him. He looked like they fell the other way. And he, he, was, he could stand his ground quite easily. He was very, very, he was like we built a granite. You know, so it um, did. It did suffer the um, the, uh, the 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 rates against it um, was was quite high. Which was but he's always
0: difficult. good for. I'd say he's a fifteen goal a season guy at that level, which he pretty much delivered. I mean, if you look at that first season, I mean, you had to wait. I've just been looking in the history books. You had to wait until October for your first win. And I actually remember that game. It was a four nil game against Reading, and I think you were four nil after half an hour or something. But that game was marred by uh, Danny Rodriguez, one of those horrible injuries where he broke his ankle. And I mean, he was a very energetic player. I guess you signed him, was he on loan from Southampton and he was going to be like a, a foil to play off Lee Peacock? Yeah, is that was that it's the more, rationale? Danny was a, was a, was a
1: tremendous uh, gifted technical player. Quick, pacey, uh, great feet, could, he could go behind you. Lovely player, Lovely to play off, off a big striker, you know, and um, very bright in what he did. And yeah, that was a, I remember that, that game vividly. Yeah. It was um, such a, a big blow from not from well from the club's point of view, but certainly from Danny's, because he was um, it was a great platform for him to go on and do even better, even maybe even go back into Southampton's first team, whatever. Yeah. You know. Yeah, he yeah, was a big big blow, but
0: never, I don't think um, he ever recovered from that either, yeah. did he? From a career yeah. perspective. So he really so finished yeah. ninth with sixty-eight points. So. You were happy. I guess the board were happy because it was an improvement and that's obviously a feature of your whole time at Bristol City. Come on to 2001-2002 season. Now, you'd inherited Steve Phillips as a goalkeeper and I know he played most of the games in 2001, but just checking again in the record books. 2001 and one two, you split the season between Mike Stowell, who I think is a coach at Leicester now, and Steve. Did you feel you wanted a bit more experience in goal? there from yeah. from that perspective yeah and that was
1: that was the um that was the thoughts at the time yeah um mickey sterile mickey was a great lad but and and he was, was a great mentor as well for steve not just because he was a team. youngster
0: back like there wasn't he you know yeah, so.
1: yeah. and we, we can see the potential with steve no problem at all but um but we still thought there's a lot of pressure on him to see a full season through and what mike was was not only still a good goalkeeper still capable um off the pitch and, and certainly in training, he was fantastic. With Steve helped him a great deal, um, helped his his, his, um, his performances when he did get in the team. Always talking to him, you know. And um, if I put Steve instead of uh, Mike, you know, Mike would just put his arm around him and wish him all the best. He was always very very genuine, and that's why I liked um, you know that, that partnership, if you like.
0: And I'm just looking at some of the players that played regularly for you that season. I mean, Danny Coles. Was an emerging uh, talent, wasn't he at that time? Yeah, he was uh, <clears throat> coming. Yeah, I
1: mean, young diamond. Mean, you can go through quite a few of them. I remember quite a few of the boys that came through the youth. Um, and, I, and I've always said, and I still say to this day, and you, you can see now in the Premier League, young lads, you know, if if you've got the the um, the, the ability, they will be good enough. You know, rather maybe not to play every week, but um, give them a chance because. It, you know they will mature into they will they will grow into the the positions, and we felt that with the, with the boys anyway. They, have, they need they need the experience around them. They need the help. You know, a team full of, of young boys is is not always going to be successful. But I think um I think putting you know a sprinkler of them in the over the season, three four five of them. I don't think it's any any uh, harm in that. I think that's what we did with, with Danny Coles, along with yeah Joe Bernal was another
0: one that came Joe in. Now. Yeah. yeah, Joe Bernal. Tommy Duck. And Tommy Dock, because was it before or after you that Tommy? I think he'd had glandular fever or something. It yes. might have been, was that before your time? Because he never got, no. or was it after you gone? Because he was a great prospect, but after that glandular fever, he never recovered that energy that was a big part of his game because he was a bit and like Tommy. Jerry Gow. If everybody used to say about Tommy Dock, he's yeah. a local a Bristol boy, but Jerry Gow in his approach. But uh, you had him in there as well. That season as well, 0 one 2 Tin Man was there. Uh, Tony Thorpe, Fox in the Box. Matty Hill, we always used to call him Windmill Hill because he (laughs) had a habit of giving away penalties and stuff like that. But it was another good season. Ninth up to seventh, 73 points. Fifth, uh, five points off the playoffs, which shows 73. No, that was a year. Sorry, that was a year that I think they cut back in the Premier League I think so I think only five teams yes. got up so because 73 points would pretty much guarantee you in the playoffs So then we Absolutely. come on to 2002 free season and I guess the board were happy with what you were doing because it was progress you did always play entertaining football Danny everybody would say that and that's probably reflected what you were like as a player you'd always been somebody looking to go forward rather than back Um, One match that stands out from, well, several matches, there's a good handful of matches, 2002-03. 23rd of November, uh, up at Field Mill, I had a season ticket at Villa in those days. Not that I was a Villa fan, but if I had it, and used to share it if it didn't clash with City. And I can remember seeing we were 4-2 down, and I was walking up the road, Trinity Road, back to my car, I kept hearing my phone go off. Well, not here. I could feel the vibration going in my back pocket. And I thought, oh, what's going on there? Five-four winners after being 4-2 down with five minutes to go. I mean, that must be in your, I won't say top five, but your top ten of matches that you remember. Yeah, tell us about that, what you can recall about that one. Christian Roberts was in you by then as well, wasn't he? Yeah, Christian Roberts uh, got the winning goal, I believe. I That's remember. right.
1: Um, yeah, I think with um, in that particular moment in, in time in the team, they, they, were in a, they were in a great um, uh, run of form in terms of confidence was sky high with them, and I think from that point of view, they never thought they were, they were going to get beaten. We were four or two down, and, and really, if, if I can remember the game, we could have been five or six up in the in you know, the chances we had and the, the domination we had in the game. But first credit to you know to um, Mansfield, they laid down, they, they persevered and they still they were still very positive, and they, and they ended up getting four-two in front of us. But we always felt, it, even on the touchline, we felt this, the game's not over. This, there's still goals in this game because chances—it was end-to-end football. Chances were flying everywhere. You know, we were taking a bit more uh, less caution, you know, than than possibly before, and obviously they were, you know, thinking, well, four-two up, we're okay, we can sit back a bit. And we got really very much on top of them. And um, the three goals came within, I think we had a penalty in that. And and um, and then the winner came virtually to injury time at <laughs> Switzerland. And it was fantastic. I remember... I can, uh, I can, as a, remember,
0: another match we'll talk about in a moment in that season, which was certainly being my top five in 50 years. But before we do that, we can't uh, not mention uh, cup success in the LDV. City's fourth appearance in that competition. 2-0 um, on the day against uh, Carlisle. Um, a, a distraction from your league form or a nice distraction? chance for the players to relax and a, a, a piece of silverware for you as well? Well, it, it is that as well. And again, you know, how
1: many times will, will your, your fans you know, see you play at Wembley in a competition? You know, I think that's, that's to be considered as well. I mean, it was a great day out for the fans. I think we did we take away 35,000 there. Yeah, so,
0: something
1: yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was an amazing, amazing uh turnout. And that so it just goes to prove that you know what people may perceive as a little small cup in, in somebody's eyes, you know, when you get sixty thousand watching you, there's there's got to be something there to play for. So um, yeah, it was great. It was a great day out. You know, we we fortunately we got a bit of so silverware. It wasn't a distraction, um, in my opinion, because I think whilst you're winning games, you're gaining confidence and and you take it into the next game, and um, you never you never see anybody saying that the, the fatigue when you're winning games week in
0: week out. There's always an excuse when you're losing games. Yeah. Um, so you know, yeah, it was it was wasn't a. I think that game. season. I think that season you scored in all competitions over a hundred goals, and Scott Murray he got 21 that year, but about 80. Again, I just checked. About 18 of those came before Christmas, didn't it? And then I think he scored hat trick against. Mansfield. Towards the end of that season, um, yeah. you finished um, third with eighty-two points, one behind, one point behind QPR and eighty-three. Although they had a better goal difference, I remember a particular game up at uh, Chesterfield, uh, where you know if you'd have got a draw, but you lost two-nil. Um, but you had um, Aaron Brown and Tony Butler sent off. I mean that. That that one game was the difference between auto and getting in the playoffs, really, wasn't it?
1: Well, I, I think yes. That, if you look at it clinically, like maybe that's the one,
0: yeah, there's other games as well. Over,
1: over a season, you've, you've dropped a couple of points here and there, or or whatever, you know. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you could you could point to that one with nine men and losing two 0 at that st- stage of the season. Then you know you look back and possibly that could have been. The reason, but um, but I think overall, you know, the season was, was terrific. Any other season, getting eighty-two points, you think you'd be in the automatic positions, you know? But it, it wasn't to be. So you got to
0: the playoffs, and then Cardiff away 0 one. I remember watching the match away at Cardiff on a big screen behind the uh, behind the Atio. And then considering you've been so prolific in scoring, you must have been confident. Going and only losing one 0 confident of uh, of turning that um, of turning that round. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, um, it, it's always been a rivalry between Cardiff and uh, Bristol anyway. You know, so it's like a derby game if you if you like. So, um, we're always going to be close games. you are not going to be you know be old scoring games. Very tough, very competitive, uh, very physical games. Um, but we were always very confident.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're coming into 2003, 2004. And I can remember that previous season, Wigan had gone up with a very dour sort of style. They won lots of games, 2-0, 1-0. I think they had a bloke at the back or in midfield, Aaron DeZo, that was sort of like, seemed to be a bit of a playmaker there. And I, I cool recall reading, reading, or maybe it was just talking amongst fans, that you looked at what they did that season and you maybe adopted a slightly more uh, conservative approach to playing you know three and 04, having looked at how Wigan had done it by grinding out results is that is that just me the foggy memory thinking what people said or do you did you look at it and think right this is my fourth year final year of the contract again you'd shown regular improvement like a certain other manager that's no longer with us uh, down here but um what what were the board saying to you in that close season i mean you had to sell had sell scott murray but you did go out and buy lee miller and luke Wiltshire. that 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 o three o four season in the in the close season were they saying look danny you've got to do it this year or you from your own personal point of view i must do it this year but i need this player and that player so when scott murray went was that to fund miller and Wiltshire, or was that just he wanted to go and play at a higher level.
1: Well, listen, there's, there's always um, little caveats to every, every transfer. And, and Scotty wanted to better himself. He wanted to yeah. move up a little bit, which is understandable. He'd been a fantastic servant to Bristol City. Um, we weren't in a position to, to hold him back. Um, so we brought in, like I said, uh, Miller, um, in particular, just a striker, very, very good leader of uh, the line. Excellent in that respect. Um, so I think from that point of view, no, it didn't. And, and how we wanted to play, we brought you know uh, Luke Wiltshire in as well, was was a terrifically um, good player. player. Yeah. So yeah. so basically, if you look at the the, the the signings that we brought in, we're not buying defenders in there; we're buying more strikers. So we had, our strategy didn't change at all. Our strategy was never going to change and mine Certainly, wasn't they were, they had, well, we wanted to go and score more goals in the opposition, and that's that's what we've always done. We never. Yes, we'd like to win 4-0 and it's clean sheet, you know, week in, week out. But, um, you know, if it's 5-4, as we spoke about before, let's do 5-4. Exciting, but it's still we got three points. So we never, we never change our strategy. I think the games dictate when you're playing games. You know, if you're if you under pressure uh, a bit, then you, you end up trying to not to concede. You might be a bit more defensive if you are coming against a team that's a got stronger than you. You know, then, um, you know, if you're not getting any headway going forward, then you've got to make sure you get something at right the game. Well, that's during the game, that's not pre planned. I think we are, we always pre planned in every training session was to express ourselves, go out and enjoy ourselves and, and go and score goals, basically.
0: How much time do you think that maybe at lower level it's different to the higher up you go up the league, which obviously you played there and managed there as well. How much do you look at the opposition? and let them dictate how you might line up? Or do you? are you a manager that subscribes to you? We'll play our own game and be aware of what the opposition do rather than we need to counter the opposition. What what school of thought are you in on that? I, I think you'd be,
1: you'd be stupid to dismiss the, 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 um, uh, the, the ability of the opposition that you're playing against. If you dismiss them completely out of disregard, you're going to get your backs out felt. You know, because the players straight away will come back to you and say, "Well, we weren't ready for that. We didn't know that would happen." You have to prepare players and give them information. Now, whether they use that information, that's up to them. As long as you you pass the information on, this could happen. If it does happen, this situation develops. This may happen. You're ready. You're ready for it. You're, you're aware of what's happening, and you can contract it. That's all we give. We always give players information. Always. Um, again, when it came to setting the game plan out. That was never about sitting back and letting them, because we thought they had better players than us, letting them dictate the game to us. We always always would go against them. But there's certain times in the game when it does turn around and you have to do the defensive side of it. And players have to be prepared to do that and understand what what it is and what their role is when we are doing that defensive job. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that season you had a fantastic period, uh, December into the end of uh, February. Uh, Eleven straight wins. and When you get on a run like that, you must think we're gonna we're going for it this year, yeah. And then uh, you 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 uh, the, the confidence in the camp must have been high during that period, mustn't it?
1: You know, from from whilst I was always there, I, I never felt at any given time that we were ever under pressure in terms of the season, uh, whether the players were not feeling confidence or whatever. Um, that just epitomises you, that was just, um, you know, that, that run that we had there was something that we were very well capable of. You know, very surprising it didn't happen before that and, you know, and even season before that. But, um, yeah, but we had, a, we had a terrific run, as you say. Um, confidence sky high. You know, who knows what's around the corner? We don't know. You know, but if we continue doing the, uh, the work that we
0: were putting in those 11 games for the rest of the season, there would have been no problem. You know, you, you, I mean, the, mar- the margins between success and failure are so thin, aren't they? Because if you look at that, I was at that game at Sheffield Wednesday at the upper tier of the Leppings Lane. And we thought, well, you know, we've done enough to earn a point. And then they lob literally the sort of thing you do in injury time, high ball into the box yeah. and they lo- you lose it 1-0. But it has to come to an end sometime. And for most clubs, unless you're Man City, Mm of course. But I recall another match up at uh, Swindon Town in the April when it was 1-1. I think Christian Roberts had scored. And then Lee Miller, he just couldn't get his head or his leg onto the end of a cross. And that's two matches that, you know, that's four... um, What is it? That's four points extra. Yeah. Yeah. Four points extra that... That would have been auto, wouldn't it? Yeah. and well, you
1: it, know, but... <laughs> It's, it's a really great hindsight, isn't it? It's, I know, I know.
0: I know. It it you got to the playoffs for a second successive season. And again, this is where we come on to uh, one of those matches. Well, two matches, actually, that are pivotal. I mean, you got Hartlepool away uh, in the first leg. Um, 1-1, incredible result. <clears throat> and then back at Ashton Gate, full house. Losing 1-0 with two minutes to go, and you're thinking, oh, shit, right? But then the shortest man, one of the shortest men on the field, heads it in. It must have been from a Scotty Murray cross. I mean, if you can remember, I can only remember that because I looked it up in the book. But what are your recollections of that, that uh, last two minutes at Ashton Gate in uh, April 2004 or whatever it was, it wasn't it? Well, <laughs> yeah, I have to say, you know,
1: Hartlepool, um, again, as people perceive certain clubs um, as being this, that and the other, in a small club, they had a very good sign at that time. They, they, in the both games, they give us a real run for our money. And, and Maybe the other way around, we gave them run for the money as well, but we were perceived as a bigger club, obviously. Um, Hartlepool came in the second leg and played very, very well. Um, they, were, they were very, very difficult to break down. And if I remember rightly, they had a couple of good chances themselves to maybe put the, the tie beyond beyond us coming back. Um, but going back to what I said before, you know, the lads were always at, had that belief, you know, that yeah. um, they, would, they would come back into games. They certainly wouldn't lose games in Ashton Gate anyway. You know, they, we, we didn't lose very many games in, in the, over a period of time. So when the fans, when they started sucking that ball towards it, we, we had a good chance or, or a good idea that, you know, we would get... Um, we would get ourselves back into this game if not, if not going to win it. Yeah. And, um, and thankfully we did. And, and I think, you know, from um, the atmosphere that was in the stadium at the time, was absolutely electric. Uh,
0: it was, I think the referee was Graham Pohl, wasn't it? And he said yeah. it was an atmosphere that was as electric as anything yeah. he'd been at. And he's done Madrid derbies or Rome derbies, that type of thing. As you say, yeah. good fella, headed a ball in uh, for the equaliser. And yeah, then yeah. Christian Roberts, you know, I mean, what a player, you know, and uh, in, on his day, what a player on his day. Uh, yeah. I think Tony Rougier as well, was he involved that year? A lone Tony was involved. A big He now, became he a was little there. bit of a cult hero in his time, but then Christian yeah. Roberts burst through and yeah. then the ground just went mental, didn't it? Yeah. And well, all did, I always remember yeah. when they look at the pictures of it now, the video, in fact, before every city game, they show that goal on the highlights of the history of the club. And I always remember Scott Murray kicking one of those little um, furry microphones as he's giving it <laughs> to the crowd. You know? But, uh, you know- I mean, with Christian, going back to Christian Roberts, he, he could have been anything Christian. He had
1: pace and power. He had, he had, he had two very good feet in uh, finishing with, you know, but he was just a little bit erratic. But you could guarantee in the games, he would get one or two of those chances. In every game that he played in. Now, whether he finished them or not, you know, sometimes it was it was a little bit of a flip of a coin. More than not, he would, but there's odd, odd ones, you know, under pressure, it went it, it, scuff wide. But that one on that particular day was fantastic. He uh, he made sure he finished it with a plum and and i like you say the, the place erupted, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, that was and
0: certainly fantastic. in my in my top five in all the time I've been going. But then on to Brighton at the millennium, as it was, another hot sunny day. Um Brighton, I think you'd beaten them 4-1 at with Dean, I seem to recall, earlier that season, but that was eight months previous. Uh, they had a little player called Leon Knight, who was a thorn in many sides that season. I've got to ask a question. I said this uh, to a couple of people who knew I was interviewing today. I've always wanted to know why no Leroy Lita on the bench that day. 17 years I've waited to ask that question. Leroy didn't feature and was it that you felt you needed the experience on the day because the guys that were on the bench i think you're only allowed two subs in those days if I leroy, yeah. two was it just lack of experience i mean do you look back on that day and think mm, well as you said hindsight's a wonderful thing but what, what why no leroy that day simply got you
1: you answered the question it was the experience you know, the, uh, when you go into big games like that, yes, you can throw a young kid in. You know, there's, there's always that opportunity. As I said to you before, you look back in, uh, in hindsight and what if have changed it? I possibly wouldn't have changed it uh, because I'm not too sure whether we would have changed anything anyway. You know, because I think from, from the squad that we had uh, at that time, Leroy was one for the future. He was definitely yeah. one for the future. Now, could he have done it for five minutes in Wembley? Maybe. Possibly. possibly. You know, who knows? um okay. but that's that's just a, a decision and it was a dodgy
0: make. penalty as well that they got wasn't it really i think because he don't was he? one of those he, yeah. he went past danny cole but he was one of those that would throw himself on the ground really wouldn't he
1: oh yeah it was and i think i think you know like you said any in any uh, games there's going to be moments like that and that moment might have been leroy's you know you know Leroy could have just gone and, and, and got tripped up we just don't know that's that's something we'll never ever know um would we have won it we'll never know that either you know but what we did we chose to go with the experience and unfortunately we fell short
0: at the end of it which was a big 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 big. it was a big big blow i seem to recall you saying as you say because you had you'd had year-on-year improvement by this time steve lansdowne was chairman which he still is well he's owner now but de facto chairman i seem to recall a little radio clip that you said Defeat is not failure, which it's not really to some extent. But then five days later, five days after the final, it really was a shock because, you know, you'd have that year on year improvement. You know, it was everything heading in the right direction. But five years later, you know, five days later, I'm putting on the radio. And and you've gone. Now, your contract had come to an end, and a four-year contract was... Uh, I I
1: want to correct you you on that. I wasn't on a four-year contract.
0: You weren't? That's
1: interesting. No, I was on a 12-month rolling contract.
0: Okay. That's an interesting point. So 12-month rolling. Right, that's an interesting point, because that's being discussed with us. So it's like anybody, you're on 12 months. So, okay. So it was a rolling 12-month. Yeah. How, how did you leave? Why did you leave? Was it just, look, we need to make a change. I'm the new chairman. You've had a fair crack. We move on or, or what? Because it seemed harsh when you look at a certain other manager that had 10 times the amount of resources that any Bristol City manager has had in the past because, you know, you've seen how much we've spent as a club. We've sold yeah. and bought, but there's a lot of money being shelled out. You know, you've done it on a limited budget. How did that departure come come around? Was it that just post-game chat that week and they said, look, enough, you know, we're sorry, or you know, we're paying you off. Just if you can, what what happened there? Because you must have been disappoint you're disappointed, obviously, but you know, you had a track record that if you'd have been given another crack everybody would have said, fair enough, maybe this time. So what happened?
1: Well, I think you've got to look over, over a period of time, of three or four years, if you like, where not only have we, have we sold players, we've brought young players through into the team and been, and been fairly consistent in the results. Um, in doing so, that helps financially the club immensely. Not going out and spending transfer fees is obviously the biggest outgoing of any football club. Uh, wages that go with that as well as bringing the players in. We hadn't done much of that. And if we did do that, we, we always made sure that we came out on top on the on the, um, uh, the uh, black side of deals. So I think from that point of view, the financial side of it was being, was being considered all the time. Um, and every time that we wanted or I wanted to bring a player in or whatever, well, you know, we can't afford to be that. Somebody goes out, that's what happened. So we never went, very rarely went above our budget. Um, obviously operated below it. Um, staff as well, of what we had, we had a minimum of staff yeah. that were doing more jobs than if you see the staffs nowadays that clubs have nowadays, it's in- unbelievable.
0: Well, it's we have seven guys on the bench, I don't mean players, seven yeah. support people on the bench now, but then that's not just Bristol City, that's probably most clubs at that level.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. we used we to have two or three, four people maybe doing 10 people's jobs, you know, so we weren't weren't flush with with staff either. So, you know, everybody was out every night of the week. They were doing all long stints during the day, that type of thing. And then obviously we we missed it to the final, very, very close. And I had a meeting on on the the next day, I think it was a couple of days later, um, with the chairman, then Steve Lansdowne. Everything was fine. Nothing was mentioned at all. Let's build again for next season. I was more than happy with that, yeah. I went on holiday. I was in my place in um, abroad with my wife. I got a phone call to say that I was sacked. So that's a, that's the news that I got. I, I had no idea at all of what was going to happen at that time until I got that. There was there was mootings that they wanted to cut my staff, um, which was impossible. There was nothing to cut. There was nothing anywhere. to cut anyway, yeah. There was nothing to cut. So people were saying that that was a, uh, one of the problems with me, that wasn't a problem at all because there's was nothing to cut. We couldn't cut anywhere, um, unless you have a manager who's doing the reserves, the youth team, um, doing the physiotherapy or whatever, that's the only thing that could have happened. So, um, so to say it was a shock to me, is an understatement. It it's was an understatement.
0: Shock. So it was, it was, you'd have that meeting just after the final, then you went away on holiday as you would do. And then it was when you were on holiday, you got that call. So yeah. and have you? I I don't think so. Have, have you been to Ashton Gate since, as either a manager or as a as a guest at all? Or I've been um, a couple of times yeah. Yeah. So it, left a, it would have left a nasty taste in the mouth as well, and not without justification, I would say, just as an outsider looking in. But anyway, let's so that that wraps up Bristol City. Um, looking through the rest of your managerial career, I mean the Sheffield United, you you enjoy. I mean, people need to look at this. You had 226 games in charge at City. You won 107 of them, or in fact, you didn't lose in 162. That's another way of looking at it. But you had a win rate of 47.3%, which is bloody good. Yeah. And then you went on to um, MK, Hartlepool, Swindon. And then I guess the period you had at Sheffield, that was pretty successful as well. But going back, to a club like Sheffield when you were a Sheffield Wednesday man through and through. That wasn't without its challenges, I guess. Yeah, but you enjoyed a 52% win there over 100 games. Yeah, so tell us about that spell. Tell us about that spell there.
1: <laughs> well,
0: I think with, um,
1: first and foremost, yeah, the rivalry between the two City clubs are, um, is is like Bristol Road and Bristol City. You know, it's, um, it's tremendous for me. Both are in the same... Area within within a few miles of each other, so it's um it is very 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 fancy when you know when one team's doing well the other's not doing particularly well and one enjoys the success and then enjoys the other one's you know defeats for. but I think when I when I went there I was the first one to to move as a manager from uh, Sheffield Wednesday to Sheffield United and, and a lot of people didn't didn't take to it too kindly. But um, listen, I've never, I've never shared a challenge. I've never.
0: And they were in they were in League One at the time, weren't they? Yes. Mm-hmm. And You would have got them to the playoffs in that. Well, in fact, no. Auto. You would have got them to auto in that first season. I think you won six games in a row. Then you had the Chad Evans situation to deal with. I mean, as a manager, I mean, you've probably seen in the press we've signed. Um, for eight games, Nigel signed Danny Simpson on loan for the rest of yes. the season. And you could say there's a fair chunk of the supporters, uh, he's, not, not he's getting grief, and he gave a very good reason why he wanted to sign Danny Simpson uh, in his press conference yesterday. But it must have been a disruption losing a guy who scored 30 goals for you. That was the difference between success and failure, not on the field, in that one season, it could have made all the difference, couldn't it? Because you lost in the. Yeah. The I think with
1: with Chad, you know, he was it he was he was fantastic in the dressing room as well. You know, he, he had a lot of support in, in this ongoing situation that was um, off field with him, uh, from lots and lots of people, supporters included. And when he came onto the pitch, he never he never bothered him whatsoever. He he really concentrated. And he he was magnificent for that season. And then losing him as we did in the manner that we did. The Whole it just it just felt like the, the plug was pulled out of the balloon, it just deflated so quickly, everybody just couldn't believe the situation that just happened. Um, and yes, and it was uh, it it, it contributed to us not being promoted, that's no, no, absolutely no doubt about that. We, no. With him in this team, we'd have, we'd have been up
0: there. You'd have gone auto, you'd have gone autos, you'd have gone autos, wouldn't you? Because no, I think no, you only no. had to win last one of your last three games that year, yes. and if you'd have done that, and you'd have been a hit. You'd have been a hero, basically, even though you were an owl in the eyes of many.
1: Well, you know, as you say, it's any, in, any, in any, any job that you have in football, results are everything. And the first thing I, I said to the, to the fans, more less, is is that results will be everything. Give me a chance to win games. If you win games, you've got to have a chance of turning people around. And, and it wasn't just winning the games. We were playing some great stuff as well. And I say so myself. Some of the football was was horrendous to, to, to watch from my point of view. I enjoyed the lads. They were, they were expressing themselves every week, scoring goals for fun, and uh, and the fans were turning around. And, and by the end of that season, they were brilliant with me. And even to the day that I went, they were fantastic. So you know, I you know for all the, the problems that possibly could have, have come from the from the uh, the fact that I went across the, the, the other side of the uh, of the city, um, it couldn't have it couldn't have been better. It could have ended better. It could have ended better with promotion. Yeah. But um, but certainly personally. Um, the people of Sheffield have been extraordinary to me. I've, I've, I've enjoyed my time with both. Of them.
0: Yeah. And then you had uh, a couple of a couple of other managerial spells with uh, with Barnsley and Chesterfield. But we live in an era now where people want immediate success, or they 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 don't think long term. Full stop. Um, what what have what have you been doing to uh, occupy yourself? I mean, you're still a young man. You know, a very young man. <laughs> In, 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 well, you're younger than I am, but then I'm a very old man. Um, what, what, what have you been doing since Chesterfield? What have you been doing through the, the lockdown? We're not even being able to go to games. Tell us about that. Well, I think I think like most people
1: are trying to keep keep ourselves busy. The, the one of the, the lovely things that happened in my family is that we've had our first grandchild, uh, and we're in the bubble with um, with his parents as well. So it's been a fantastic time from our point of view. Yes, it's been difficult, um, you know, but you know we're we're, we're quite blessed in in a area where we're in a lot of countryside, so we can we can get out and about a bit. Um, but more than anything, it's it's, it's looking after and seeing, seeing my grandson um, grow up, if you like. I've had uh, when you're running football, it's a twenty four seven. As I said before, yeah. you don't time. don't devote enough time to your family um, because you can't because the, the, the job dictates. So what I did two or three years ago, I decided that that's enough. I wanted to spend more time with the family. Um, and I just, you can choose what I want to do now. I do my consultancy work and I do some work with the Lead Managers Association. Uh, and with another All right, Yeah. that we have. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still fairly busy, you know, but really at my own leisure, which is, which is tremendous.
0: Do it. I mean, would you be tempted back if somebody tapped on your shoulder would you look at a director of football where there's a young coach because I mean you've had a thousand games as a manager there's not too many people that have done that and you know you're 61 this year you look at people like Sam Allardyce Roy Houghton is it Roy Hatton? Not Roy, Ray Ho- Roy Hodgson, Ray, oh, Roy Hodgson. The name yeah he's he's turning 70 now yeah. I mean would you would you look at would you look at something like that, or are you enjoying enjoying life as it is? No, I think I would enjoy
1: that, and I, and I I'd enjoy it simply because it's like taking, as I spoke to you before, about when you see young boys coming through, when you and you see them developing, you take great pride in them playing the team, and all of a sudden they have go on to better things, they play for England or what have you. know, I've got a couple of of, um, of situations like that I find very very satisfying when I see Harry Maguire playing for England now. You know, and um, you know, bringing through the youth at, um, at Sheffield United. So, to do that with a manager would be fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I would still fancy that. Um, I, I do fancy one on the touchline again. I think it's it's for the young men now. I think they've got. Yeah,
0: you know, the director of football with a young coach. You, yeah, you you look at that, which doesn't require doesn't require a twenty four seven approach. To you and your grandson is he a chip off? Uh, is granddad's block? or uh, <laughs> He's a bit too young yet. Yeah, we don't know yet. Yeah, there's only two. All right. He's, he's, he's that young. And I mean, this this season, no, no fans or what have you. And no, it looks like we'll be going back in in August. I mean, there's a couple of things. i just fire a few questions at you. Referees, other outside of the Premier League, where VAR is a problem by itself, but referees, um, you don't notice them so much, do you? Have you noticed that with watching games that don't seem to be so, you know, is it because the crowds aren't on their back that they're able to get on with their decisions? Do you well, of course. It is. I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's a human um,
1: uh, sorry, a human uh, mistake game, if you like, uh, where it causes controversy, which is great for the pubs after, after you get them after the game and something's happened, the referee's not given what you wanted to give. It's a, it's, a, it's a point of conversation, but I think I think you know when you've got nobody there and there's no contentious decisions to make and you can't go in the pub and have a chat about it, you know then there's a lot of pressure taken from referees. Now can we take that further down that we get better decisions from referees because of that? Um, I don't think that will ever happen. Not in, even with VAR there, because I think that's contentious in its own in its own way as well.
0: No, I so say that was my next question. I mean VAR. Does it have a place? It's just that it's not being used properly at the moment.
1: Well, it, well I mean, it, there's so many there's so many um, uh, opinions about it uh, and what's going on at, at Stockley Park and who's making the decisions. In it? Is it? Be, are they being um, dictated to by people outside of football and what have you? You know, if you can get people in there who can give a quick decision, who understand the game, who've been in them positions of, of, um, of players... Understand what the, 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 the mindset of the player is in certain situations, um, situations that, that players are very, very um, prone to getting penalties, if you like. If you've got somebody in there that understands all that, you've got a better chance of of, of, um, of, of giving more accurate decisions as you go along. I'm not too sure all along that referees are the answer to be in a Stockley Park. I, I really don't. I don't think, sometimes yeah. I think that it's it's looking after your mate. You know, you don't want to put them under too much pressure. You know, asking referees to go and look at a VAR, look at a, a screen that virtually says you've got your decision wrong there. You know, come and have a look at it. And sometimes they don't even change it. eye. The, the pressure that's on them there now, I think is a lot, lot more than the ref than a, um, uh, a fan shouting down a referee's ear or hey, you shit, you that was a shit decision. You know, I think there's more pressure on the VAR situation with referees now than there is from
0: than there was before, even with somebody sat up in the box watching it, or the fourth official. Because yeah. in some respects, you think the fourth official, if he was higher up and he was connected, he could have that different view without the constant uh, replays. And are you surprised because football finance... I mean, if you look at Bristol City this season, right? last year they lost £30 million quid, right? because they didn't... I think the previous year they had the transfer of Webster. They're going to be on course this year for another £30 million pound loss Okay, they've got Steve the benefactor there in the background now, but do you do you are you surprised that they haven't that there've been no clubs that have gone pop in the last three or four months, or do you think that that could be on the core cards in the next six months that two or three are just going to go pop because there's no money coming in, is there? Premier League they've got their TV money, but. What, what what do you think about? That? Yeah. Do you think we'll see a few clubs go to the? Yeah, the,
1: the teams outside the top two division, and may even some in the championship. You know, they're, they're right on the cusp at the moment, and and if they don't get help, or they don't get the fans back in, definitely for next season, um, you can see that happening in more than one in one case. You know, I think it's um, it's a very very tough time, and unless you've got a benefactor like Steve, you know, then you know your your club's going to have major problems. Um, I would suggest that you can you could go up and down the country, and I would suggest that 90% of the of the football clubs will be up for sale, if you ask them honestly. Although publicly they've not to really said that, but privately I bet you could buy any club you wanted, because of the situation they're in and they don't think they can afford to to carry on in the in the vein that they are at the moment. No, no business can never mind football, you know. And um, so I just think you know, and, unless you you are blessed by that um, that that. Uh, that night in shining armor, then you—you're um, going to be you have problems, and you're going to have a lot of yeah. a lot of cutbacks within your football club.
0: Definitely, Danny. It's been uh, a pleasure uh, talking to you. It's been interesting. It's been interesting talking about your non-Bristol City uh, career as well. I found that very interesting. Talking about your Bristol City career, which was, you know, onwards and uh, upwards. Um, as I say, I think if you'd have had the amount of financial support. Back then, even allowing for inflation that has been given to um, the previous uh, to, to uh, Nigel Pearson's predecessor, predecessor, uh, I think it would have been a different uh, a different story. One final question I've got to ask for you. I mean, Nigel Pearson, as you know him as a man, I've said on our podcast, and I say you know him as a man, as a teammate, and everything. I've said on our podcast he's the first proper manager we've had and he hasn't signed permanently yet. He's the first proper manager we've had since you. And I exclude Steve Koppel because he only stayed about three weeks or something like that, yeah? Do you think Nigel is the man that can take Bristol City to a division that they haven't been into for 41 years? And is there a little story you could tell us that would make us laugh about Nigel Pearson? Or is he a straight down the middle guy that, you know, he's bigger than you, yeah? (laughs) that you wouldn't tell us if you knew one anyway. But do you think he's a man who can do it? Is there a little, t- little tell you can tell us about big Nigel? Well,
1: Nigel, Nigel will, um, will give you the best chance as anybody. That's what I'll say. He's, uh, he's very experienced. He's had, he's had his experience not just here, but he's been abroad as well. Um, he understands he understands the, the, the culture of the English football. Um, I think you of anybody that's out there this morning in time You've possibly got the best fit for Bristol City. Yeah. Um, I think he's um, he's strong. Um, he won't, It doesn't stand any n- nonsense. I'll tell you that now. If you if you're a press man and you want to rile him up a bit, I'd step back two yards if I was you because he won't, uh, he won't stand <laughs> on ceremony, he won't, he won't take any any nonsense. Um, and that goes for the players as It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you still the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now in the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times delivery fee and times supply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.